A story's been told that during the Civil War, one soldier who lost both his brother and father on the same day wanted to plead his case to be released from duty before President Lincoln. He was given permission to leave the front lines and he made his way to the White House. On the way, he practiced his speech and tried to remember the advice he was given to persuade the president. But he couldn't even get through the door of the White House. The guard on duty recognized his low-ranking status from his uniform, and he said to him, you can't see the president, young man. Don't you know there's a war going on? The president is very busy. Go back to the battle lines. Disheartened, the young soldier left and sat on a bench nearby the White House, and a little boy happened to be walking by, and he noticed that the man looked unhappy. And he asked him, soldier, you look unhappy, what, what's going on here? Well, the soldier looked up with a face full of tears and started to explain. My father and brother were both killed in the war and there is a desperate situation at home. I need to be released from duty to help my mother and sister on the farm. Well, the little boy looked at him and said, I think I can help you. So he took the soldier by the hand and led him to the front gate of the White House. The guard didn't even recognize uh, the boy and the soldier this time. He didn't even take notice of them. And as the boy and the soldier were walking through the White House, they passed the generals and the high-ranking officials, and no one said a word to them. The soldier was wondering, who is this boy that I'm with? Well, when they reached the Oval Office, without even knocking, the boy led the soldier right in. And behind the desk was Abraham Lincoln, looking closely at the battle plans. The president looked at the boy and looked at the soldier and said, well, good afternoon, Todd. Can you introduce me to your friend? And the son of the president said, Daddy, the soldier needs to talk with you. So the soldier pled his case before the president and right then and there received the exemption he hoped to have received. Now, I'm not sure if this story actually happened but what it does is it gets at the heart of what Jesus says about, about the life of prayer in his followers. Jesus assumes that if we are going to be following him into God's kingdom, we would be people of prayer. Because without prayer, there is no spiritual life. But what is the nature of Christian prayer? Is it trying to get access to God using the right words in the right way, like the soldier trying to use his words to get before God? On the surface, you could read Jesus' words in that way. Don't pray like a hypocrite, and don't pray like a Gentile. Here, instead, pray like this. But what is prayer really about? Christian prayer begins where we find the soldier at the end of the story. And what a relief, because many of our friends and neighbors who pray have no assurance that when they pray, God is actually hearing them. At most, prayer is wishful thinking. But this morning, I want you to know that through Jesus, God's Son, we have amazing access before our God and Father. At the cost of his own life, he has taken us in the very presence of the throne room of God. That is what Jesus has done for us. 
His coming into the world changes the meaning and experience of prayer forever. Jesus isn't giving us advice. He is granting us access to God our Father. The author of Hebrews says this, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So according to Jesus, if we are in him by faith, we can pray with confidence before God. And his teaching laid out here in Matthew is gonna help us get there. So we wanna look at this prayer according to Jesus uh, under two headings this morning. First, pitfalls in praying. That's what we see in verses six through eight. And second, the pathway to praying in verses nine through 15. So let's look first at the pitfalls in praying. In Jesus' day, there were many opportunities to be caught praying in public. Uh, There was a tradition of praying at various times in the day, in the morning, at mealtime, and in the evening. There were even prescribed prayers that uh, people in his time could have prayed as they were entering the synagogue or as they were approaching the street corner. We might say that people were in the habit of praying with one eye closed to look pious and one eye open to see who was taking notice of them. This first pitfall in our praying is the temptation to pray with showy words. Now to be clear, Jesus is not condemning public praying. At various points in the gospel, we see him praying publicly. That's not the issue. So what is the issue? It's not the where of the praying, it's the question of why do we pray? One writer put it this way, it's not a problem of location, but of motivation. Now if you are engaged in any form of ministry, whether you're a pastor or a leader in the church or a teacher of some kind, I know some of you underneath the mask are quite relieved that that doesn't quite capture where you are, Just you wait, we'll get to you in just one moment. But if you are in one of these roles, you run the risk of praying publicly in a way that you would never be caught praying privately. Publicly, we may pray for things, for the sick or for church events or for various needs, but privately, we don't spend much time in prayer about those things. Or maybe it's gotten to the point where the only time that we really do pray is when we're asked in a public gathering and there's not much private prayer going on. We may not even realize it, but it's the concerns of others and how we appear before them that is actually driving our prayer life. And while that may be a danger for ministers and other people in church positions uh, to, to pray in that way on a regular basis, we are all in danger of committing the socially, socially acceptable Christian form of hypocrisy, which is to say to people when we feel under pressure and we don't know what to say, what? I'll pray for you. And then we don't. We don't pray for him there and we don't pray for him later, but, but we feel that that's what we should be doing. So we say we will pray publicly or we do pray publicly, but we don't pray privately. And that's the real challenge here because we miss out on the very reward that God wants to give us when we pray. And Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on that. So he tells us in verse eight this, 
when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, those who pray to get attention from others or those who pray only because of out of so, uh, only out of social pressure already have their reward, reward. And Jesus says there's a better reward when you pray privately. But we must remember that our audience is not other people. Our audience is God. We should be concerned about no one else's view of us other than God's when we pray. So there's no need to make a show of words because we are already praying to our Father in heaven. When you see two people in a healthy relationship, it could be a parent and a child, a husband, wife, siblings together, two best friends, when you see them publicly and you see the mutual affection and joy, uh, the honesty that they have with each other, you can be certain of this one thing that behind the scenes, they've done a lot of good work together to be like this publicly. And that's what happens when we get in, in the prayer closet and be with God in prayer. We develop a rich life with God that then overflows in our public life. Now, commentators observe that the word Jesus uses for room here is a word that is used for a storeroom where treasures are kept. Now maybe what Jesus is getting at is that there are hidden rewards of prayer, too many that we can even count when we spend time with the Lord privately in prayer. And Jesus wants us to experience those riches. Listen to what Ian Bounds, a great Methodist preacher, writes on this. Prayer goes by faith into the great orchard of God's great and precious promises and with hand and heart picks the ripest and richest fruits. When we go to God in prayer, there he has for us a wide array of things that we need just for us to be received when we are praying. So the essence of Christian prayer isn't about performance. It's about our personal connection to God who is our Father. And just like in our closest relationships, we don't have to make a show of our words. We can speak plainly as a child to God. So showy words, that's the first pitfall. The second one is approaching God with many words. Jesus warns us, not to be like the Gentiles, those who don't worship the one true God of Israel, who heap up empty phrases thinking that this is, what will, this is what will get them before the presence of God. This is what will get them a hearing. We don't need to produce many words to get before God. We don't need to produce many words to get God to intervene because our God is not like the God of the Gentiles. Our God is all-knowing. He knows us from beginning to end. One of the most fascinating things to see in Jesus' ministry is to look at the prayers he answers. They aren't very religious sounding, and they aren't very long. Here's three of them in 10 seconds. A leper came to Jesus saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will be clean. 
A centurion came to Jesus. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. The disciples in the boat, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And Jesus said, why are you afraid, ones with little faith? And Jesus calmed the sea. Do you ever pray like this? Short prayers of need throughout the day. These are the honest prayers that God loves to answer. Now some of you are saying that was longer than 10 seconds. Forgive me, I'm ordained now, so that means I'm blessed with no sense of time whatsoever when I preach, so. <laughs> so okay, we, can, we, can, we don't have to use showy words and we don't have to use many words when we pray. But here's the question, why even pray? I mean, if God knows what I need beforehand, why do I even have to say, say prayers? It's a good question, but I think it confuses with what Jesus means here. Of course it's true that God knows exactly what you're gonna say before you say it. That's not what's at stake here. When you have a need, Let's say you're sitting with a great sense of guilt over a sin, or because it's the holiday season, you're feeling particularly lonely and, you miss, and you're missing a loved one. Isn't it that because you feel these great burdens, you want to share them with people, not who don't know, but who know you intimately, who know you well? Doesn't the fact that they know you is what compels you to share whatever you're going through with them. The fact that they won't turn away from you, but turn towards you in your need, doesn't that make you want to let them know? As Christians, we believe that God in the person of Jesus knows exactly what we need as a human being. In the words of the hymn, Jesus knows our every weakness. And not only that, God knows just exactly how to meet your need because he's almighty God and he's a loving father. The scriptures teach that even when you are so burdened that you don't know how to pray, God's spirit is in our hearts, working in us, lifting up our needs, producing prayers, crying out to God, Abba, Father. And here's really the amazing thing. Even if you haven't been praying privately for a long time, your prayer closet is covered with cobwebs, so to, so to speak. It's been left untouched for so long. Jesus Christ has never stopped praying for your needs as he stands at the right hand of the Father. Your prayer life may have been put on pause, but his prayer life for you and your needs have never been put on pause. Now if this is the God who awaits us when we go to prayer. Why wouldn't we take it to the Lord in prayer as the rest of that line says? We don't need showy words. We don't need many words. We simply need to bring honest words to our Father in heaven when we pray. Now for some, the hardest thing about Jesus' teaching here is finding time and room to pray. There's not a lot of time or room in your life right now. You're working unpredictable hours. You are up several times at night with kids. You're involved in a ton of activities. Let me just say this. No one prays as they should. Even the greatest models in the history of the church 
never felt that they should pray as they should. That's a given. But we can pray as we can. We can pray as we can. Here's what I mean. Because Jesus has brought us into the presence of the Father, we are, afraid to, we are free to pray at any time and in various ways because our hearts are always before the Father. Your prayer life is not going to look the same in every season of life. When my girls were babies, I found that the best time for prayer was when I rocked them to sleep at night. Truth be told, I probably prayed much more while I was changing their diapers. Now for some of you, if you did that, you would truly be praying without ceasing. Maybe there was a season in your life when you could spend uninterrupted time in prayer with God. The first hour of your day, you can sit there with your Bible open and pour out your heart to God, but you can't do that anymore. You work an earlier shift. You have many demands on your life. So now you have room to pray in your car as you listen to the Bible and pray as you drive. Pray with your eyes open, please, when, if you're doing that. Susanna Wesley, mother of the famous pastor John Wesley, raised 10 children. And at certain points in her marriage, she did it because of the trouble she had with her husband. She did it uh, a, a couple points on her, home, on her own. You can imagine that she had great trouble finding a secret place to pray. So she told her children that when she sat at the table and she put her apron above her head, that she was to be left alone so that she could pray. And you know what God did? God used those smothered prayers in her apron to raise up the ministry of John Wesley, her son, that led many people to Christ, not only in England, and, and in Ireland, but in the United States as well. His ministry continues to pay dividends, and in part because he used the prayers of his mother at the table all those years. It's amazing to see what God can do with the prayers that we can pray. Now, that word can is a bit elastic, and it's meant to be because we need to be stretched here as well. On the night before Jesus Christ was crucified, before he was to secure the salvation of the world, he asked his disciples to pray with him. And instead, they slept. What a missed opportunity for prayer. We don't know what we're missing out when we neglect prayer. So based on where you are today, how can you pray in secret to God in the current setup of your life? Many times, it's only in times of prayer that God offers us what it is we most need. What might that be for you? What treasures are waiting for you as you go to God in prayer in your prayer room? So let's suppose you're able to find time to pray and room to pray. What are you supposed to be praying for? Well, that's where Jesus takes us next. He shows us the pathway to prayer, and that's in verses 9 through 14. Uh, these verses are what we often call the Lord's Prayer, and it's not uh, called that because this is a prayer that Jesus prayed because he doesn't have any debts or sins to pray about, but rather it's called the Lord's Prayer because it's his 
and he's giving it to us. And we want to listen very closely to Jesus here because you see, no one in heaven or on earth is closer to the Father than Jesus. And he uses his position to teach us how to pray, not just to his Father, but to our Father. The one who stands closest to the Father is our teacher in prayer. So what Jesus does is he gives us words to pray. And sometimes when you're in such a prayer rut, you need words to pray, and there's no greater place to start than with God's word, and perhaps even the Lord's prayer. This prayer, the Lord's prayer, is probably prayed every hour of the day somewhere on earth. Many traditions teach that it is a good habit to be praying the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But he also provides a pattern for our praying, and the prayer consists, uh, divides up into two parts. The first has to do with God's name, and secondly, it has to do with our needs as his disciples. Many of our prayers, especially our private ones, start and end with our needs, especially with our wants and our wishes to be made more comfortable. But that's not where Jesus begins. He starts with the honoring of the Father's name. He asks for us to pray for God's kingdom to come. He wants us to long for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus starts with honoring God's name in ways because that's actually what we most need. When there are tragedies, like at the high school in Michigan or the number of deaths due to gun violence in Philadelphia, our hearts don't simply cry for physical and emotional needs to be met, but for the deep need for God's rule to cover the earth, for the news of King Jesus to spread throughout the whole world, and so that every heart embraces him as a good and gracious Lord where they will be free from all that keeps them in bondage. That's what we most need when we watch the six o'clock news, and we know that. The entire season of Advent is not just meant to prepare our hearts for God's coming in the person of Jesus as an infant, but to prepare our hearts also for his glorious return where he will establish God's kingdom forever on this world, in this world. Jesus Christ is the once and future coming king, and we are to long for that kingdom. Now, I think in our stronger moments of faith, we really do want to see God's kingdom come. But when we get to the line of the prayer, your will be done, this is where we find oftentimes our wills are in conflict with God's. God's will involves leading us through many trials. If you need a new job, you pray before you go into the interview and a few days later, you get the email, we regret to inform you, it's God's will that I don't get this job when I need a job? After you have a year of clear cancer scans, suddenly the doctor calls and says, we have bad news. It's God's will for the cancer to return during the holidays? Martin Luther said that for himself, your will be done is the hardest petition to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and I think he is right about that. 
the book of Hebrews tells us that before Jesus entered into the world, this is what he said. Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So from the very beginning, before he entered into the world, he was totally devoted to doing God's will. And even though that was true, what do we hear him pray in the garden? If you are willing, Father, take this cup away from me. And his eyes filled with tears and his body in agony, he then prays, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus Christ in his humanity had to wrestle with the perfect will of God. And just as Jesus suffered to bring salvation, so God has willed that we will suffer in various ways, job loss, cancer diagnoses, and other hardships. But these are not the last word. His kingdom will come, and his will, it will be done. And just as he raised Jesus from the dead, he will raise us too. And yes, at times God's will is hard and mysterious, but it is always good because when his kingdom comes, life will never be the same again. And that's what we can trust in. But in order to be devoted to God's will our entire life, we need, we need God's provision. And that's what we have in the second half of the Lord's Prayer here. We have various needs. So Jesus first teaches us to pray for our physical needs. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now I think he really does have in mind that we are to pray to God uh, for our food. Um, but I also think that this request covers the wide varieties of needs that we have to get through each day. That includes money for the mortgage, medicine, and whatever else you need in your station of life. We are to pray for those things to our God and Father that he would provide them and to thank him for when he does. But we also need spiritual provision. We need the forgiveness of sins each day. If we are aware of the forgiveness that God has afforded us in Jesus and how he gives it to us in abundance each time, it makes us the kind of people who can regularly forgive others. To faithfully do God's will, we must be delivered from the daily temptations of the evil one. And just as God's spirit empowered Jesus to withstand temptation in the wilderness, he will help us get through the time of temptation. He will deliver us from that. Just like Jesus, we get tempted in various ways to indulge our appetites, our appetite for spending and eating and other things. And in, around the holidays when we're particularly stressed, these temptations are very real and powerful. Just like Jesus, we may be tempted to use whatever influence we have, whether it's at our jobs or in our homes or at school, to use to push others away. We have to understand that our power and influence is both a blessing and a temptation. So we must be on guard against the evil one each day. Now, what happens when we pray these petitions for God's names, for God's name and our needs. Well, what happens when we sincerely pray these things is our prayer life uh, makes a big difference. 
our prayer life makes a big difference. We become conformed to what uh, we're praying for here. Where I worked before, it was not uncommon for people to start their employment with enthusiasm and great compassion for the clients of the clinic. But usually after a few months, for many employees, this dedication lessened and the capacity for compassion was dull because of the mounting cases and because of the short staffing and it was particularly stressful in the holiday season. Well, one nurse practitioner stood out well into a year into the job. She remained cheerful and patient with the clients. She spent extra time with them in their appointments She did tasks that were well below her pay grade. She would make copies of documents for people, and she would bring patients coffee. She even seemed most patient with the clients who were most rude to her. Well, at the time, I was the director of the unit, and I used my position to be quite upfront. One year around the holidays, just after a year she was there, after watching her behavior, I finally had enough. After I saw her respond in kind to a client that cursed her, I went into her office, I shut the door, and sat down. I said to her, all right, give it up. I know that you are a Christian, a real one. How do you keep such a good witness in such a trying environment? Sometimes I think this place makes me lose my religion. Now, I may be a Christian, but keep in mind, I'm also still from New Jersey. Well, she looked at me, she started to laugh. She said, I am a Christian, and each day I ask God to give me what I need to do his will right where I am. And as things come up throughout the day, I ask for his help. I don't always do a good job of that. Well, when she said that to me, I realized I wasn't sitting in a doctor's office but a prayer room where one of Jesus' disciples spoke to her father freely about anything and everything she needed from him. And everyone around her, patients and staff, enjoyed the fruit of her rich prayer life with God. And that's the kind of life that can be ours because through Jesus, we have been given access to the Father. We can avoid the pitfalls of prayer and we can enter into the true pathway of prayer, intimacy with our God and Father. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.